0: Welcome to the Recasting Religious Drama podcast. My name is Christine Greenwald, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist, a writer, and an ex-evangelical. This is the podcast extension of my weekly newsletter on Substack, also called Recasting Religious Trauma. Each month, I interview interesting people about their faith experiences, faith deconstruction, religious trauma, spirituality, and more. We deconstruct and examine the elements of religion that once caused us harm so that we can melt it down and recast it into something new. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Marla Taviano. Marla is a writer of numerous books, most recently her two books of poetry, entitled Unbelief and Jaded, with a third in the trilogy to be released later this year. She's a prolific reader as well as writer, and is the person behind the popular account on Instagram, at White Girl Learning, where she posts about literally a book every single day. We'll get more into that in the interview. She's got a super interesting backstory about growing up one of the best Christian girls out there, becoming a missionary of sorts in Cambodia, getting divorced by her husband and then discovering he was cheating on her, and oh yeah, going through a massive faith shift through all of this. Not because of it, but it happened to be at the same time. It was just a lot. Also, she's a really nice person and great to talk to. Hope that you enjoy this interview as much as we enjoyed recording it. Cool. Hi, Marla. I am really, really excited to have you as my guest today on my, I guess, whatever, Substack podcast. Um, And I am thinking back to when I first uh, learned about you was someone from my husband's church had been reading my writings and she was like, have you heard of Marla Taviano? Because she knew you from way back in the day because you happened to have grown up 15 minutes away from where I live now. (laughs) And I Googled you. And when I found the Google results, I was very perplexed because I saw your old books that you had been associated with. And I was like, that's really interesting. Maybe there's two Marla Tavianos. And then I learned more about your whole story. Um, so you, you've you had quite the journey. So I'm hoping that you could tell us um, about what that has
1: involved. Yeah, there are kind of two Marla Tavianos. <laughs> they're both me though, unfortunately, or or fortunately, I don't know. Um, no, I am trying to love and embrace the first Marla Taviano because she is still a part of me. Um, she has just evolved a lot. And it just so happens that there are some things on the Google about her because I wrote books as Marla Taviano first edition. (laughs) Um, And they are out in the world and it's, yeah, it's, it has come up a lot. People are like, um, could you check Goodreads? Because this is what it says there and this doesn't sound like you or different things like that. So yeah, I, I had that happen a lot and I don't really, um, pay much attention. I don't, I don't take care of those things, like make sure that they're all updated and everything. But, um, I forget your question. Did you ask a question?
0: (laughs) I did. A little summary of of your uh, wild and winding faith
1: journey. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, I grew up, as you know, very close to where you live now in a small town called West Liberty, Ohio, which is smaller than the town you're in, which is amazing that there's a town smaller than that. about (laughs) 2,500 people. Um, Super conservative Christian family. I mean, when I say super conservative, maybe not because I'm meeting a lot of people these days who grew up in much more of a um, a much stricter home and environment and were not really in touch with the world. And that was not my experience. Um, I went to a Christian school for a little while. Then my mom homeschooled me for a while. Then I went to a public school from fifth grade through 12th grade. Then went to a Christian college Um, that I would call super conservative Christian, (laughs) and I don't usually mention it out in the world. I have more recently been doing that Cedarville college at the time now Cedarville university in Ohio, very not, I wouldn't say very well known, but if you know it, you know, that it's super conservative Christian. Um, and I was just a great little Christian girl. I mean, I just did all the right things. I knew all the right things. I, um, and I had a heart for people and I wanted them to know the truth that I knew. And so evangelizing people was just a good fit for me because I wanted them. To, I love people and I wanted them to go to heaven, not hell. And so <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my I was graduated co-valedictorian of my high school class and gave a big speech, which was basically a sermon. <laughs> and looking back now, my mom sent it to me and that's another story we can talk about my parents and how they are not on the same journey I am. But, um, I, she sent it to me cause she had written it all out, I think in her journal. And I was like, Oh, ouch, I forgot about this. So I was, I said how, something to the effect of, I used to get all A's and now I'm going to talk about F's my faith, my friends and some, some other F word. Um, and then I think I just like gave the plan of salvation <laughs> to these unsuspecting mm-hmm. people. Um, can't let
0: that opportunity go
1: by. No. Without... And I loved missionaries growing up. Like My aunt and uncle were missionaries in Indonesia. We had missions conferences at our church where missionaries would come. And I always thought, oh, I want to be a missionary. Um, and then I married someone who was um, very into graphic design, computers, web design. And I was like, oh, well, I can't be a missionary because like <laughs> i think at that time like 1999 i was thinking oh well to be a missionary you'd have to give up the computers cuz they don't have computers where i'd want to go um <laughs> fast forward to now anyway i did end up being a missionary um from 2015 to uh to 2020 and um started out at what i would call a missionary um very quickly as i was my faith was i was deconstructing that and evolving out of that. And so nowadays, when people ask me, what did you do in Cambodia? I say humanitarian work, which is pretty true. Mm -hmm. Um, We stopped going to church altogether in the spring of 2017 while we were still missionaries (laughs) in Cambodia. Um, And I have not been back since. Um, Yeah, a lot of things happened um, from, I want to say, 2008 on um in 2009 we helped um, some black friends of ours plant a church a, a multi-ethnic church um from there i had i woke up to <laughs> racism and white supremacy and all of that and poverty in cambodia and lgbtq issues and all of this stuff and so that's what i i write about now is just my um yeah, my journey out of that and to where I am now. And when people ask me where I've landed, I say, I'm, I haven't landed. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like a bird (laughs) just flying around. And every once in a while I'll land on a branch, but I don't stay there. Um, And then came back from Cambodia, in March of 2020, last plane out of Cambodia, well, of our town. And, um, My daughter and her Cambodian fiance were stranded in Cambodia for three months, Um, worst three months of my life, because I just Mm. assumed that they were gonna die of COVID and I would never see them again because there's no Western healthcare there. And we didn't know a lot about COVID. And even now, I mean, it could have happened. A lot of people were dying. So a lot of people have died. So in September of 2020, my husband at the time left, unexpectedly I said he wanted a divorce just I wouldn't say completely out of the blue um things had not been great but I had I did not see this coming and I found out four months later that he had been cheating on me for four of the five years that we lived in Cambodia that was January 2021 that I found that out um our divorce wasn't finalized until February of 2022 and he basically left me in a brand new state. I'm from Ohio, moved to Cambodia, and I'm now in South Carolina with um, four kids and no money. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so my Cambodian son-in law, um the immigration, that's another story I could talk about forever, but that whole mess um, took him two years to get his green card so that he could even. Um, work at all, and then try to get his driver's license, like pass his permit test in a, in a foreign language. Um, My two of my kids were old enough to drive when we moved here, but they had only ever driven motos in Cambodia. So they got their permits, but then had to wait six months to be able to get their licenses. So for a while it was just me doing everything, taking everybody everywhere, doing all the stuff, trying to earn the money. Um, But we have settled in a groove and, Everybody has jobs and <laughs> um, yeah.
0: This is all in your like faith deconstruction phase where every like sounds so, <laughs> there's just a lot of turmoil in general. Yeah. And then you just compounded it a couple more times. Yeah.
1: And so it's, it's weird because people have come into my orbit at different parts of my journey and there's some confusion sometimes. Like people have thought that I deconstructed because my husband left or, that he left because I was deconstructing or that's, Mm. that's not really true at all. Um, And actually I was leading the way in deconstructing, but he kind of followed along in in most Mm. aspects, but all the, all the while he was (laughs) cheating. and I didn't know that, but yeah. So where am I now? I am in a very good place where I don't know what I believe. I do know a lot of things that I do not believe And I'm doing a lot of healing and that healing is partly, I would call it religious trauma, also life trauma. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just working, working through that, but it's, I don't want to say fun, (laughs) but kind of sometimes (laughs) part of it is it feels good. I mean, it feels good to look back at those old books at those old journals to see the things that I believe to figure out why I believe them. And I guess I would still call myself an evangelist of some kind. I don't I don't want to be the kind of person that believes like really strongly like is trying to get everybody to believe like I do then and then doing that again now. I'm not talking about that. My my main thing is is harm that is being done. Not um not just to people like me, but a lot of people who are not like me, so harm being mm-hmm. done to the queer community, to my black friends, to immigrants refugees, my Muslim friends um and then yeah, what straight white people like me who um also believed a lot of things that were ultimately harmful to me, and all of that harm is all wrapped up, i mean white supremacy is toxic to white people too um it's different it's Mm -hmm. toxic in a different way but yeah so that is (laughs) even the telling of my journey I kind of wound all around (laughs) (laughs) it's quite the path yeah
0: yeah I feel like in in your books you to me it, it is quite clear that you were talking about like well you obviously still have kind of this this like zeal the evangelical zeal not like in an evangelical way evangelical space but like this like you're just so passionate about all of these things but it doesn't come across like you have to believe what I believe it's just like geez we really need to stop freaking hurting everybody else yeah and it's very it's very
1: powerful to read all of that it's a good thing Um, I didn't write these books like in say 2015 2016 is it (laughs) It probably would have been a lot different because that's how I kind of started out. I didn't really know how else to do it except just plow right through. And I don't, I regret a little bit of that, but some of it I actually don't because um, how gentle are we going to be about some of this stuff that's going on? Like, let's just ease into this. Let's help people Mm -hmm. be a little bit, less racist every day <laughs> like it's just we don't have this kind of time so yeah um but yeah well thank you for saying that about my books I oh yeah I have fun writing them um and I they're in a poetry form because I tried and tried and tried to write my whole journey and as you could tell I have difficulty articulating um all of it like Mm -hmm. cohesively clearly in order what happened um and I just kept changing my mind and heart so quickly that when I would write something down Mm -hmm. then I didn't believe it anymore and I was like how do I do this and so the books are um it's kind of a less is more situation and then Mm -hmm. I can talk to people or write myself um filling in those gaps and and things like that um um
0: you mentioned your white girl learning account which i imagine many people are already familiar with but you want to fill us in a little bit about that or like when you started it do you really do like a book a day that's incredible i do
1: um i started it december 1st 2017 so i had my five-year anniversary uh in just last december and um Like I said, I've been reading my whole life, learned to read when I was four and was just reading everything I could get my hands on. But it wasn't until after we had started, um, helped start that multi-ethnic church that I was waking up to the fact that, oh, look at all these books I've read and how many of them are white people? Like 90, I'd say 99% of these books. And so I just started being more intentional. Well, then... When I was in Cambodia, I think it was 2016, um, someone that I knew, I started f- following her on Instagram because she followed me and her her Instagram account instead of photos of her kids were all photos of books. And she had like, <laughs> she would do, put things together that match the cover and they're all this whole thing. And then she called it bookstagram. And I was like, what is this? Like, what is this magical thing? And then I started just discovering that other people did this too. And I thought, Oh, okay, this is cool. And I just decided I'm going to exclusively um, feature books that are not by white people because I'm trying to read more anyway. So it started out, I want to say just Tuesdays and Thursdays, maybe I did a, a book um, or maybe Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then it, I just started discovering so many and I thought I want to, I got to, there's so many I want to read that I need to do more days. And I think it was maybe 2019 during black history month. That's what I remember is that I did a book every day. Well, then it was women's history month the next month. And I was like, I'm going to do a book a day again. And then I think it was poetry month and then Asian American Pacific Islander, native Hawaiian month. And so I just kept going and I haven't stopped. So I haven't missed a day and I'm probably close to four years and it's not um i don't read 365 books a year but i do read about 250. so on mondays Uh my 12 year old niece we do mondays with mia so she reads a middle grade book on mondays on sundays i do a sunday six stack and then occasionally i will do picture books with my other nieces who are eight and five and so obviously that's not going to take me a long time to read that book um (laughs) But I do read a lot, lot, lot. So uh, if you can see behind me, all oh, there's the four bookshelves. <laughs> those are all the books I've read. Um, and there, those are all the ones you read. Those, there's no, there are no white people books on there except for the shelf at the bottom. I have my own books. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is that is really it has literally changed my life. Like the people that I've met, the things that I have learned, the perspective i have gained the passion that has been ignited um and i will do that and i mean i don't know if i'll do bookstagram until i die but i will be on this (laughs) mission to help other people um especially white people help my fellow white people see the whole world and not just what's inside their white little bubble, which is where I was for a really long time. And it's cool too, because instead of on Facebook where you post something about white supremacy or anti-racism and people get all mad, these are people coming to my page on purpose because they want to learn things. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll get trolls and stuff. I actually don't get very many, which is kind of surprising, but um, it's, it's just been a really... A really cool place. Like I said, I've met so many people. I've met some people in real life. I have some big plans to go to bookstores and meet friends in other parts of the country. And yeah, good times. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow,
0: you have the uh, you have several poems, at least like in Jada, that I really like. um where you're sort of questioning this missionary stance and like there's you know you have a line in one about well yeah i would pray the right prayer if you were given me food to feed my kids too like mm-hmm. why are you counting all these quote saved souls um yeah and and i don't know like how much experiences like that shifted your mind while you were over there or 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 what was going on for you
1: um i don't think it was that experience necessarily. I think it was my shifting experiences that woke me up to what was happening there. Um, and yeah. like I, I said, when I'm looking back in my journals and my past and trying to kind of piece this together and figure out what went wrong, that where, where <laughs> what happened, I will see hints of things back in say 2006, 2007. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, really? I, I was starting to think that then where I don't remember That being a thing, Um, but yeah, it was. I I I was following a couple people who were also missionaries, and I remember one woman introduced me to the term "rice Christians," which is, I mean, it. Some people think it's an offensive term. What it means is just it it means someone who becomes a Christian because they are poor, and the Christians are Mm -hmm. promising them something material, and so they just. Say well, sure, I'll be a Christian so I can have this. Um, yeah. And the the person that I reference in um, in that poem is an actual person who would go to Kenya, and just all the time four hundred thirty two salvations, six hundred mm-hmm. salvations, and she would always have these big, huge numbers. And the thing was, she would go, she would do these sermons, like these revivals, and they would give a chicken to every family that came. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Um, yeah, of course, it just started seeming so ridiculous to me. I'm like, what are the odds that you went over there for like three weeks and 432 people went from knowing nothing about the Bible or Jesus or God to totally understanding all of it and changing their (laughs) lives and deciding to accept Christ and follow him forever. Like what are, that's not how this works. And then I start to think, wait, how does it work? And what is this prayer of salvation? And wait, if there's not a specific Hmm. thing, how do you know if you're going to hell or not? Because I have so many people come to me over the years, how do I know I'm not going to hell? How do I know? And I'd be like, well, if you did this and you're not going to hell, like you just believe that. And they're like, but how do I know? And I'm like, you just have to believe. (laughs) And then I start Uh thinking, well, what if you did get it wrong? Or what if you didn't mean it? Or. I mean, I've since learned about kids, friends of mine who would, when they were kids, would say the prayer of salvation, like over and over and over and over again, terrified that they didn't mean it and that they were going to mm-hmm. hell. And then I start reading about like Rob Bell and his book, Love Wins, and how he has all this biblical... um proof of why hell isn't a real thing and what would these words really mean in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then all these other authors who are saying, this isn't what the Bible means either. When you take the Bible literally and you say it's clear and you're reading it in English and it was in this other language. And here's the thing. I was learning another language and I was starting to see that when someone translated something, it wasn't exact. It didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't match <laughs> up. And even the, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about Miriam and her, she had leprosy and her skin was white as snow. And the word snow, it's like they use the word for cotton. They use something different because they don't have snow. And then the word for circumcision is just cut skin. Like it, it literally translates as cut skin because they don't do circumcision there. So there's not, and so then what are you supposed to do when you're a Cambodian Christian? And you're reading about circumcision. It's like cut skin. Cut what? Like my hand, my face. <laughs> what do I? How does this work? And, and then I'm like, you know what? <laughs> so the more, and it was just a lot of it was books. A lot of it was reading mm-hmm. authors that I was scared to read before, and some of these books I had tried to read scared me to death. Literally threw them in the trash and then rebought them later and i was ready for it um yeah. so it took me a long time and i tell people now you don't have the kind of time that i had i didn't really even have it either but mm-hmm. i took it um so the the whole anti racism thing that i was waking up to this a long long time ago then in 2020 when everybody's like oh my goodness there's racism mm-hmm. <laughs> And you have to, you have to pick up on it quicker um, yeah. because it's, I will say I'm that so... some of my old tricks like <laughs> still work.
0: <weren't. laughs> Psychological <laughs> tricks of evangelism. I mean,
1: because what I used to, what I used to think to myself was, listen, if I am loving and kind and people see how loving and kind I am, then they're going to want to be a Christian. And so there are times when I'm like, if I'm loving and kind, (laughs) they're going to see, oh, well, she's not a bad person just because she, and and it's not always like that. It's not, I'm not into any kind of fake thing. Um, And I, I do go back and forth. Like some people have been very offended by me and some people might think that I'm too kind and too gentle. And I don't really have, it's just. I, I don't know. I just go with what I think and what I feel. And I don't really have a, yeah. I, I don't know how everybody is reacting um, to me. Yeah. I still get um, randomly people who have known me in the past and are like taken aback but <laughs> that I am, yeah. that I am lost. Like this one woman just a couple yeah. Yeah, of days ago was just like, what you need to do, like, read the gospel of John, like not without no commentary, not my words, not anybody's words, just read it through and mm-hmm. ask God to speak to you. And if he doesn't speak to you, then you can walk away. And I was like, you know how many freaking times <laughs> I've read the gospel of John? Like I've read the Bible through more times than anybody I know. And God used to quote unquote, speak to me all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that if I read the, the gospel of John right now, something would Jump out at me and speak to me. But you know what? When I read my own book that I wrote, things jump out and speak to me. And when I read all these other authors, like I just read Barack Obama's presidential memoir and things (laughs) spoke to me. (laughs) So it's like, you know what? God speaking to you. Can we be honest? How do you know? How do you know that was God speaking to you? Did you hear? No, it was inside of me. Okay. So is everything inside of you, God? Oh, no. Well, just only when God <laughs> is like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so the whole thing, that's what it just all started to come unraveled. Because I, w- I was like, we are not being honest about mm-hmm. this stuff. Um, and what started that whole conversation was me. I had brought up an old Facebook memory where I was praising Jesus for giving us the exact apartment that we are a house or something in Cambodia. And like it could never have happened if, if God hadn't done this. Praise Jesus. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah blah blah. Um, and I've just recently been really pushing on people who say, like, praising God for everything good and never ever blaming God for anything bad. Um, and recently, when the young football player had a cardiac arrest on the field, and then all of these millions of people are like, God saved his life. God saved his life. And I saw someone on Twitter say you know who saved his life are the medical mm-hmm. personnel that rushed out on the field immediately, that gave him CPR immediately, that did the, the fribble whatever those, like, I not know what that word is. Right. Did that immediately, went in, had surgery immediately. Did all, all of those people, like who knows how many that were skilled and trained and did all these things yeah. to save his life. They saved his life actually. And I had a friend years ago whose 14 year old son died. He had a cardiac arrest on the basketball court and died. Oh, Why? There weren't all those people there to save him mm-hmm. five seconds after it happened. And so to say that we owe all this to God. And then my friend's son, like, what was that? And then yeah. they come up with another explanation. Oh, well, God, something, something. It's like, no, I I'm sick mm-hmm. of this. This doesn't make any logical sense, and it's ridiculous. And so, so yeah. So I don't know what I believe about God, yeah. and I don't know if you want to talk about yourself at all. But I'm very intrigued. Either this time or another time, I'll interview you, okay. <laughs> and you can tell. <laughs> it's them. a plan. You can tell me all about <laughs> yeah. you, um not being a Christian, being a pastor's wife, whatever.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we will have that conversation. Okay. Cool.
0: Yeah um yeah the the I have been seeing you writing and thinking more and I've also been thinking like how how when you're in the Christian or like the evangelical Christian space you can't take credit for anything yourself all the good goes to God God can't be blamed for anything bad but like we are inherently bad and it's just like so (laughs) It's rather psychologically damaging, like, when you get down to it. But also, like, let's just try and get out of this. Uh, But it's really hard to untangle.
1: It really, really is. And one thing I've noticed, oh, I see why you can hate other people because you hate Mm. yourself. Like, if you are despicable and lowly and, like, I've had, like, a couple who's related to me disown me and the husband would always talk about, I'm a, I'm a wretched worm. I'm a like on mm-hmm. and on and on and on as if, but it's, it was so weird. Like, it's like this kind of prideful thing where you're just like, because I say all these horrible things about, because I know that I am all these things, I am oh, somehow... Better than (laughs) I don't know, very Apostle Paul ish. Oh my gosh, okay. So, when these people disowned me, he wrote a 12 page paper, and I talk about this and I believe, but it was like 95% Paul's words like all of the heresies that he said. That and that that has been a consistent theme with the people that are, um, the loudest and the cruelest about Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. They are huge huge fans of paul like they just love paul and not jesus ironically which is kind of funny because jesus and paul don't always see eye to eye on on things Mm -hmm. um but yeah paul he's a
0: (laughs) he's a trip he can be a hard one to love yeah but i am curious Just a couple more questions. But one of them was how you have navigated um, relationships, whether they be family or friendships or like former church people or whatever, post shift, like, are, have you managed to hold on to relationships? Do they feel really different? How have people reacted to you?
1: Okay, well, that is a good question. There are two kinds of relationships, there are relationships with people who live by me and people who don't so that relationship will be largely online Mm -hmm. um and since like i said i lived in ohio moved to cambodia came back to south carolina (laughs) there is literally no one in my real life that i knew before except for one of my sisters so my parents live in ohio and one of my sisters lives in Ohio. And I used to not say this publicly, but I have been saying it lately, that she is the one that disowned me. So the the sister in Ohio mm-hmm. and her husband, my brother-in-law, disowned me back in 20, 2017, 2018. So we were visiting okay. the states um, from Cambodia, and they refused to see us unless I repented, which I did not do because I was not sorry. and I, <laughs> And I had not changed my oh. mind about any of the things I said. So I have not seen her or her six kids since 2016. So two of her kids I've never met because they were born after that. So I, so she's in Ohio. I have a brother in North Carolina and another sister in South Carolina. And we made the decision to move to South Carolina um, from Cambodia rather than go back to Ohio, kind of for that reason that, Everything in Ohio was either Marla version one, like it was our past <laughs> life. It was a church that we no longer um felt like we would belong at. It was family members mm-hmm. that disowned us. It was all of that. And also, um, and so my brother in North Carolina is an Anglican priest. My sister, um, who lives here, we are backyard neighbors. Um and also the weather in South Carolina is much more comparable to Cambodia than Ohio is. So that was kind of a no brainer, like five years in a tropical place and trying to mm-hmm. feel the winter again was like, no, that's not going to work out for us. So um, my parents have had a challenging time with my deconstruction but we are um they just visited in um december and like down here in south carolina and it was a wonderful visit um because we talked about nothing (laughs) we talked i mean we talked about a lot of things but we talked about nothing controversial and so um and then my sister we have an amazing relationship my my sister is wonderful my brother-in-law is wonderful um, they saved my life when my husband left and I was here. And I was so glad that we chose to move here because he went back to Ohio. We knew no no one in this whole entire state except for them. So and they have four um, kids ages five to 12. And we just love them to bits. So our views are not the same. I would say they mm. are they are deconstructing and progressing, but um, it, we're not on the same thing there but it's it's fine we we get along fine um and then my brother and his wife so yeah he's a priest so our views aren't quite the same either but he also is kind of on that path on that journey um and just recently I had a big long talk with my niece his daughter who is 20 um and I think she was kind of shocked to hear all of like my new belief, she's like, "Wow, okay, this is cool." And then my kids, none of them are Christians and do not want to be, and they're just okay. done with that whole entire thing. And I'm just talking to a friend today who has three kids about my kids' ages, and two of her kids still are Christians and are really struggling with their mom not wanting to be a Christian. And I was like, "Oh gosh, I don't like I have my parents who are are not happy with this, mm-hmm. but I don't know what I would do." If my kids were like yeah. begging me to go to church and begging me to be a Christian, like I would hate that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm just really, really glad they're heathen. So <laughs> no, but seen. um but they watched, I mean, we we did this together. Like they they watched, yeah. and I do know they are not the reason that I deconstructed, because they did it kind of with me. Um mm-hmm. but I do wonder what, how it would have been if I would not have. And then Mm -hmm. if they would not have either, or if they would have, and then I would have just been devastated because of their lost souls or, (laughs) or whatever. I don't know. My
0: final, it's not quite a question, more of a statement that you can add on to, but I think that a lot of people, like, when they're first, like, at the, you know, beginning steps of this faith deconstruction, maybe, probably, like, religious trauma as a a concept is not even on the horizon, Mm -hmm. but it all feels, like, very scary, Mm -hmm. and you're like, I don't know, if I start this, where am I going to land? I'm going to leave everything I've known, but you've described this feeling of, like, I'm okay, like, I'm just flying around like a bird, I don't even need, like, sometimes I land on a branch, but (laughs) if I don't, it's okay, too, um, so I guess just if you have any like thoughts along that line of it's
1: it's okay out here like that has kind of been a thing for me to show people that like you said that it's it's okay um but since I've been honest about my journey as I've gone and since people who've been watching for a while or hanging out with me or whatever they know how long this has taken they've also seen that it was really scary and it was really sad and it was really traumatic and what i i'm always really clear about and i've already mentioned here is that i was not in a church that i'd been at for 20 years wake up to this the church won't change and i have a decision to make leave everything i know leave mm-hmm. my community leave all of this just for some new like <laughs> beliefs mm-hmm. that i have or questions or doubts or whatever that Sounds terrifying to me. I didn't do that. What I did do is I left a whole country. Like I left my whole life. I did that, but it wasn't for that reason. Um, yeah. I didn't. At that time, my sister had not disowned me. Our church, we were still a part of our church. Like they sent us off. Um, so, I I can't quite put myself in people's shoes exactly, and I don't make a habit of telling people you have to take a stand, you have to leave, you have to do mm-hmm. this. Um I will say that several people have asked me why would you not try to change the church from the inside? Like people if everybody leaves then who's going to change it? Well, <laughs> I don't think it's possible when everyone is very, very much invested in how things are. And a pastor Mm -hmm. is getting paid and there's a board of elders and there's a denomination that's like this umbrella over you. They're not, they're not going to (laughs) listen to one Mm -hmm. person in the church. I feel like if I was that pastor and someone was being obstinate like that, I would, I would say, go find another church. Like you're not going to change our whole 500-person church, because you don't like something, you can leave. Um, so I don't actually know. And I'm, maybe there are success stories of people staying in and, and fighting. But you would need a lot of other people to help you, depending on how big your church is. You can't do it yourself. Um, so that was kind of a tangent. I, I it is. It is scary. Like, it is scary, and it can be sad, and people are it hurts. Like I used to cry myself to sleep at night after my sister disowned me. Um, mm-hmm. And it it's really scary if you believed for as long as, as I did that certain things, I mean, to this day, people ask me, what if they're, what if they're right? What if there is really a hell? What if I'm going to hell? Um, and y- you question that and people are going to Gaslight you in this. I mean, it's just, it's a very, it's a very personal choice, a personal decision. Um, I, I just, I couldn't, I I don't want to (laughs) be, I don't want to be part of it. Like when people ask me, why do you, why do you leave or why not go to church? And I generally say the church is the one doing the harm right now. And for me to be a part of a church, um, even if my specific church is super progressive or not harming people then i'm like aligning myself with the church i'm on team church against the the other side i need to make it clear to people who've been harmed by church that i am on their side like i am for them and i'm standing with them and to be honest like i have a friend and i wrote a poem in the book about her and she told me that she's LGBTQ plus affirming her church is not. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? She's like, well, everybody knows that if they come to me. I'm a safe place. I said, but your church is not a safe place. And so we just went back and forth, back and forth. And I couldn't really convince her. But I, I said, I'm not, if my loved one comes to this church and they can't mm-hmm. serve, they can't be married, there, like all of these things why would I go there? Like, I'm not, I'm going to choose them. I'm not going to choose my church. Um, and so, yeah, just, there's a lot of things to, to think about because if you, Mm -hmm. I feel like that sends a message to someone, I get that you're not welcome here, but this church is really important to me. So I'm going to have to stay. Mm -hmm. and I, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't think we'd do it if, if your church was racist, like if you brought a black friend and, people Uh called her names and you're like, well, I love you. My church doesn't, but I do. Well, (laughs) how is that? I mean, it just, uh. so Mm -hmm. I'm not super dogmatic about stuff like that, but I just tell people think about this and be honest and really explore this and decide maybe you do need to give something up. I don't know. Or maybe your church can change from the inside or maybe your church is doing good things. I don't know. Um, but back to your original question. Nobody is in as deep as I was and leaves and is floating like a bird five minutes later. <laughs> right. Like that. There was a long period
0: in between. <laughs>
1: if you are flying like a bird, then you were not as you are not all in to white evangelical Christianity, like I was, cause mm-hmm. that is absolutely impossible. Like there's you're in denial or something. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I mean, another example that I have is my ex-husband cheating on me and leaving. Like that sucked. I was, like first I was in shock and then I it was like all the stages of grief. I was like in a, curled up in a ball, sobbing, like had insomnia for months and months and months, all of this, it was torturous. And now I, I am starting to see how free I am, like how much he weighed me mm-hmm. down, how emotionally abusive he was, all these things that I, that are off my shoulders. And people have said to me, like, you look, like you look younger you look happier you look and i'm like yeah i guess mm-hmm. i i do but it it wasn't easy to get here and it's not like i mean something happened just a couple days ago that had me in tears it's not like i'm all the way over it mm-hmm. um but there is beauty and freedom on the other side and people told me that right when he left like people who knew they could see like, you will be, this will be so, you'll be so much better off without him. And I, I mean, I could see like what they were saying, but I felt like it discounted how much pain I was in. Like, that's nice Mm -hmm. that you're saying that, but I don't think you realize how much pain I'm experiencing. And so I have a poem about my ex and evangelical Christianity, how I am more me, better, all that on the other side of that but how much it hurt to go Mm -hmm. through it. So everybody's journey is going to be different and where you land is going to be different. And what you believe at the end is going to be different. And, um, but meeting people online. So I don't have real life friends that I've, that I don't see anymore, that I run into at Walmart and I'm Mm -hmm. scared. Like that doesn't happen to me. Um, But there are people who just kind of left my life, but the people that have come into my life, and some of them have a background like I do, and we can bond over that. Some of them are like, what in the heck are you even talking about? (laughs) And then, and it's just when you're allowed, quote unquote, allowed to be friends with anyone instead of just people that believe like you, you find, oh, the world is full of wonderful, amazing people. I did not know this. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so like, if you're just starting your journey, warning label about this will involve pain and probably a lot of tears and suffering and like working through trauma, etc. Yeah. But also you will, like, if you can work with it, then you can eventually move through it. And, and like, there's proof of those of us existing on the other side, where like, is everything perfect? No, but like, wow, I I actually feel like a much better human I feel so much more free than I ever did back back when yeah
1: and whatever and like I said I am I'm still that same Marla it's just I've mostly shed a lot of toxic things like she's still in there and now this I'm just becoming more me and that's another thing in in Christianity it's like denying it's all about denying yourself you can't trust yourself you're evil Mm -hmm. and no I'm not and if you talk about where you find God, I find God in myself, which is a, a quote by, um, I'm not going to get her name right. Um, and Tazaki Shange, I think is her name. Um, but she said, I, I found God in myself. I don't know. It's, it's really cool, but that's, that's just how I, I'm seeing it now. Like I'm, mm-hmm. the more I discover about myself, the more I discover about God, whoever God is, like, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's fun. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like that's a great place to leave the podcast for today. Do you want to tell people where they can find you?
1: Yeah. um, I have a website that we're going to do some more work on, but that's MarlaTaviano.com. I hang out on Instagram at at MarlaTaviano and at White Girl Learning twitter at marla taviano facebook is a cesspool don't find me there <laughs> no. um and then yeah i have a substack called writing whole farted which you alluded to earlier and that is just you can find that with my name too marla taviano but,
0: yep. yeah i'll include links and whatnot all right Fun. awesome well thank you for being here today thank you
1: christine